Welcome to the Discovery Podcast, the show where we unbox, discover, and discuss the latest drops in personal and professional development. We are being brought to you by Zenbox. Take control, download Zenbox on the App Store today, and begin your journey of discovery and self-evaluation. I'm your host, Declan Roberts, and we are coming to you from the Toronto Podcast Studio this winter evening. Joining me here today, even though she's sick, (laughs) still comes into work, Melissa Spedafora. Hi, guys. When we have the CEO, the birthday boy of Zenbox, Andre. He hates the fact that I said that, but he's got to take that one. (laughs) Happy birthday, Andre. Appreciate it. And we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, We're going to be discussing something that's a matter that's very serious. And joining us is Lauren Power. Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. Thank you for having me. So let's get right into it. Uh, Lauren, let's get to know you a little bit better. Just introduce yourself and why you believe mental health is so important. For sure. So hello, my name is Lauren Power. I'm 25 years old and I live in Toronto. Um, I grew up just in the suburbs outside of the city um, and I've lived in the city for about four years on and off. Throughout that time, I have struggled um, and kind of overcome a few different mental health struggles, um, including a few types of different forms of an eating disorder, um, anxiety, and depression. Um, So why I think mental health is so important for, for so many reasons, I think, I think you know, apps like Zenbox is doing an amazing job of really bringing light to these conversations, which I think is so important. Um, I feel that, you know, going through everything that I have, which obviously we'll, we'll get into in a little bit, um, I feel an obligation to share my story and to, you know, help people open up and and be able to share kind of what they're going through. Um, so anybody who can relate to my story or what I'm talking about, um, and that that's kind of why I'm here. That's that's kind of what's most important is the open conversation, the open dialogue that we can begin having um, about these topics. Um, so, you know, mental health, although it's definitely seen as um, kind of a negative, right? We always refer to mental health as mental health issues. Um, and we kind of talk about how people have been negatively impacted by it. Um, I try and think of it kind of on the flip side, um, where mental health has actually given me opportunity to learn so much about myself and learn so much about others. Um, through my different struggles, I've been able to, you know, feel certain emotions and surround myself with certain people and in certain experiences that I wouldn't have if if I wasn't struggling with these things. So, yeah, I, I try and take take it as an opportunity. Well, you know, I. I think I speak for both Melissa and Andre. Thank you for having the courage to share your story. Because a lot of people, they have the stories, but don't always have the courage to say, I'm going to express myself on this public forum and share my most intimate issues that I've dealt with so I can make other people better. So thank you for that very much. I guess my first question really is, how do you know you have a mental health issue? Right. So that's a great question. Um, So I kind of grew up um, with kind of this bad character trait is what I call it, right? My parents kind of thought I was super overdramatic. I reacted really negatively and really, you know, not violently, but very aggressive, very angrily to certain things. Um, I had a lot of like unsolicited reactions. I had severe mood swings. I, again, very dramatic, very exaggerated a lot of things. And again, it was kind of seen as like this, like that's how she is, that's how Lauren is. When in reality, there there was something wrong with me, right? So it took 
you know, I think it took a lot for me and, you know, for my family and for my friends and just society to kind of get to that point where we saw mental health as as an actual issue or as, as, as an actual thing. Because when I was a kid, we didn't that wasn't really talked about. Nobody really knew knew what that was. So I think, you know, with with the growing conversations and with the different avenues of mental health, because we you know, we see new things kind of coming up every so often different disorders and different things that people are able to talk about um i think that you know doing talk, talking to somebody talking to a professional is obviously um you know your first step in in figuring out if something is wrong um in that sense um i've i've talked to a lot of a lot of different professionals kind of going in and it was a really overwhelming kind of scary experience um but once I was diagnosed with, you know, what I what I have, um, I was able to kind of put um, put steps into kind of fixing that and figuring out how to deal with these things. So that was uh, it's, it sounds like something that could could be experienced as almost like an ordeal when you know something intrinsically isn't right but you you don't know how to express it or how to explain it to someone else so that you can start to figure out what the solution is right and and you've kind of gave us an overview of your journey but if you're comfortable do you mind going back to the beginning just so we can have or our listeners can have a better idea of some of the things that you noticed that made you understand or take notice that this this isn't normal at least it's not for me or i've almost like how do you self-diagnose yeah yeah how did you diagnose like you because i believe in the opening you said you you had an eating disorder Mm -hmm. how did you know that oh something isn't right yeah like i'm just talking about the the very beginning like going back to when you first started to notice like something about me something about my uh state of mind Mm-hmm. is a bit different for sure okay yeah for sure so i honestly i have i have feelings and like emotions and memories that go back to when i was like so young um of being like very being very very affected by things and not in an emotional way but in kind of like a negative way like when i would when things kind of wouldn't go my way or things it would be like very very crazy reactions um and then you know growing up um having like really bad anxiety when it came to like social things or it came to school or certain things I would get like I would get bad anxiety to a point where it was physical you know where I would like start sweating or like my heart was beating very fast and I would feel like again I would physically feel very anxious now I can now I can really pinpoint what those things felt like and and when I experienced them at the time it was just like these weird sensations that I couldn't control um so when it comes to anxiety um physical reactions is a huge thing i've done like a lot of personal research on that myself and kind of when people come to talk to me about about anxiety i i always ask them about how they're feeling physically because a lot of times you actually can feel it in that way like your body is so smart and so in tune and it can really express you know like things that you can't understand or explain in your head your body's actually able to show you these things um but yeah, so anyway, going going back into into kind of my journey. Um, so 
you know, in uh, when I was young, elementary school, high school, whatever, I kind of I now now looking back, I, I know that it was like a milder form of anxiety and depression, like really, really sad episodes, um, you know, and things that things that just weren't explained, right? Like nothing necessarily going on, nothing like, you know, bad happening or anything, just like really, really low moods for, you know, no, no real reason, especially at that age. It, it was very strange. Um, and then graduating high school. Um, I went into university and I was always like, I was never like a smaller girl. I was, I was always like bigger than my friends and kind of like chubby. I was never like obese or anything like that. But I, so I really did see myself as, you know, as being like very, very overweight, even though I wasn't, it was like a, it was a body dysmorphia issue that I had. And, um, in university, I, um, I developed a really bad eating disorder and it was, um, you know, it was anorexia initially where it was like not eating at all. And then it developed into bulimia where it was like throwing up what I was eating. And there was, there was a few other, you know, unspecified or different eating disorders that came into that. But it was kind of, it was interesting what you were saying before, like, how do you know when you have something like that at the time, even though those things are like easily, easily Googleable, right? Like, what is this? Like, I could, you can name exactly what was going on, but I didn't think that I had it. Right. Like, even though I was doing everything that it said, I was like, I don't that's that's not me. I don't have that. Um, so I, I had dropped about 30 to 40 pounds in like a month or two. And because I my you know, I grew growing up, everybody around me was thin. My my mom, my sister were thin. All my friends were thin. Losing weight was a goal. Right. Yeah. And so it, no one there was no alarm bells being set off by you losing weight. Totally. Yeah. And can I ask you a question? What's yeah. your nationality? Um, I'm my mom's Maltese. My dad's Irish. Oh, OK. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know there's certain cultures where for it, sure. it's just a part of the lifestyle. Right. right? And, and, it, and, and it is for me like my my family actually owns a alcohol importing company. So we import wine and tequila. So we're always surrounded by winemakers and all of that. And did you bring anything for this? I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't come up in here empty handed now. <laughs> I did for the birthday boy. Hey. Oh my goodness, you guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, can you tell me what this what this sure. is? <laughs> so I um, I brought a um, a Santome rosé. So Santome is the winery Tenuta Santome. Uh, this is a rosé. Uh, so it's a sparkling um, rosé, which is a it's kind of like an in between a white and a red wine. Love rosé. Um, this is a this is Pinot Grigio grapes, um, and then it's um, macerated with Pinot Noir uh, grape skin, so it gives it that red color. Um, this is one of my favorite sparklings. It's delicious. The color is really beautiful on it. And yeah, happy birthday. And Thank you that, very I much. We're going to take a commercial break <laughs> and get some drinks in. And, uh, that was, uh, I, you know what? That was a real pro. You see how she switched it out? Yeah, <laughs> real smooth. Like, like ready, born ready. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, sorry to um, no, no, interrupt. Exactly. I do want to, I do want to just kind of take a step back. Yep. And when you mentioned that you you realized that you were going through uh, eating disorders and whatnot. Did you go seek help? And what was kind of like your first couple steps on getting the help that you that you needed? Totally. So at that time, I was so focused on like the weight loss and the kind of the 
appreciation and celebration I had got from people. Um, because even if I hadn't told somebody that my goal was losing weight, just by looking at me, they would assume that that's what it was. So even people that weren't, you know, close with me or did, everybody was like, you look great, you look amazing. And, you know, those comments that you get when you lose weight or you, you know, look a certain way. And at that point, it was like nothing could I just wanted to keep going and nothing could stop me. And, you, you know, it's something that um, is I, I want to talk about a little bit more later is like, what do you do when you realize that you're going through something and you realize you need help and it's talking to somebody that you know that you can really trust and that won't judge you and that will help you validate your feelings? Because a lot of people will just push it to the side, especially if mental health is isn't it takes work. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of, it takes a lot of different things. It takes work. It takes support. You know, sometimes it takes finances when you have to go seek help from counseling and things like that. So it's, it's, it's a really, really hard space to put yourself in and to start accepting that you, you need to, you know, start doing something about it. So, you know, I reached out to somebody who I, you know, kind of had, had their own struggles and they, they weren't really able to kind of understand how to help me and what I needed. And, you know, once I kind of was strong enough to have that conversation and, and it kind of led in a way that was a little bit passive, it kind of, you know, it, it didn't, it, 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 I shied away from, from doing that for, for a, a little while. I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I think it's important for our listeners to, who are suffering. Yeah. I'd like to know, when you spoke to your family about this, mm -hmm. what was their reaction? And the reason why I ask is because sometimes families unintentionally, oh, there's nothing wrong with mm -hmm. you. And it, I like, I'll speak with my own parents. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're just not educated and they came from a completely different time not understanding that mental health today is completely different than the way it was for you guys in the 70s. Believing it was still there but it was handled differently. So I'd like to know a little bit about that experience. I think there's listeners of ours who are going through things. Maybe they're younger. Maybe they, they want to go talk to their mom and dad, but don't know how. So if you could just enlighten us with that. For sure. So a few different strategies that I used when communicating with my parents. Um, the first one was um, having somebody. So at the time, I had a really good friend and I had a cousin who was a little bit older than me um, who was able to to communicate with me and communicate with my parents. So I kind of used Were them as- Were they suffering as well? No, okay. no. So I kind of used them as like a third party for them to be able to communicate. Cause it, it's also hard to, some things you can communicate and you can tell people, but talking to your parents, like it's just that relationship, right? It's, it's really hard. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that are already built in that relationship. There's possible judgment, there's history, you know, there's so many things. So it's that relationship navigating around that with mental health is hands down is the most difficult thing I dealt with. Um, I now work with my parents and we, you know, we've gone from no, living in the same house, not speaking to each other, me yelling and, you know, them not understanding me to now the three of us going to the same job every day and working together. So it's like, it's taken us quite, quite a bit of time. Um, the second thing was, realizing exactly what you said that they don't understand and sometimes they can't right. and sometimes and a lot of and they can't a lot of times in the moment right like mental health isn't something that we can just read about and completely understand it 
you know, going through mental health and reading about it is so completely different. Um, so having the conversation that I, I sometimes still have with my parents is them being like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I'm like, you don't have to get it, but you have to respect it. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't need to know exactly how I'm feeling or what I'm going through. I can communicate up to this point. But once I can't anymore, then you're just going to have to close the book on it because there's there's it's not really their journey. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like um, one thing that is sometimes tough to accept is that it's almost our responsibility as, you know, the 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 child to be that bridge for our parents, right? There's a lot of things, not just mental health related, but a lot of things that we are going through that our parents don't necessarily understand or will never understand, but we do our best to bridge the gap of information, to bridge the gap of experience, to bridge the gap of like potential ignorance to to certain things. And it's no one's fault, it's not theirs, it's not our fault, but Sometimes we have to accept that we have to take that responsibility. We can't project our knowledge, our lack of ignorance of certain things onto somebody who doesn't have the same, the mm-hmm. same, like hasn't gone through the same things. It's a completely different generation, right? Uh, as an example, look at social media, right? When Facebook first came out, it was our group that was on it heavy. Fast forward now, or 15 them. years, yeah. our yeah. parents are finally catching up. And they're the ones like, they're, in, they're st- yeah. like Facebook is popping. Yeah, yeah they're know? using yeah. it the most. Now. Yeah, they're using it the most. And they're using it the way it was meant to be. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like our parents aren't posting selfies and this, no. that, and the third. Like they're, they're making social commentary. They're engaging with family members. Like they're using it how it's supposed to be used. Because they weren't like, they haven't been, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like kind of... They haven't been influenced negatively by it, right? They they were mature when they were given this tool, right? Right. So they're able to use it the way it was meant to be used. We got it. We were kids. We were given a keys to a Ferrari, you know, and we just what are we gonna do? Joyride. We're right. gonna do crazy ass shit, right? Because there was no rules to it. No one taught us how to use it. But you know, I went off on a bit of a tangent. My main point was, we sometimes have to be that bridge for our parents. So. Don't take it so hard on your parents when they don't understand certain things. Don't take it so hard on your family members, on your significant others, your friends, your colleagues, because not everybody's going to be at your level of woke. You know what I'm saying? But I think Lauren brought up a great point. It's not always your responsibility to understand. Exactly. And no, I think that's I, a I agree fantastic yeah. point that we mess on. It's like, I don't need you to understand. I just need you to support me. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's actually easier for you to show me love and I can get through it. But, but, a, but even that point. but even that though can be too much of an expectation you know what i mean i know it sounds like like a crazy thing to say but it sometimes we just have to let people get there the same way they got to let us get there you know what i mean get like there it's, on their own. yeah it's a two way street yeah. like we can't expect somebody to be there day one like i read something today and like um i think like a yeah one famous person was discussing uh, Dwayne Wade's family situation um, with Dwayne Wade's 12-year-old now daughter, yep. right? Yep. Who's um, uh, who's come out as, I don't want to say the wrong, I think is transgender. Transgender. Transgender, yeah. right? He, and, was, he, was, he was born a he. Right. Now, he, Dwayne Wade said in the interview, she wants, he wants to be referred to, be referred to as a she. Okay. Yeah. So that's the backstory. 
Um, the reason I bring it up is, you know, so another famous person decided to make a comment on that, right? And then there was a bunch of, you know, people chiming in, chiming in, chiming in. And for anybody who didn't necessarily understand or agree, immediately they were attacked and called homophobic. The reason I bring this up is not everybody that doesn't understand or, yeah, I'll use the word understand is not necessarily homophobic. They just don't understand yet. They may, they may not. But the thing is, when we attack people right away or hold them to a certain standard that they're not ready for yet, we immediately create barriers <laughs> and start to alienate the possibility of even getting there. Yeah. Well, right. That's what we have to be careful of in projecting like or having these expectations that people are going to understand the whatever mental health um, uh, issues that we may have, whatever other else things that we're going through in life, expecting people to understand right away. I feel like it's not the path to like, to understanding. It's not the path to healing. It's not the uh, the path to teaching other people. Right. Oh, um, so just to take it back a little bit, you've you've experienced different types of um, mental health issues, and you've spoke about a little bit how you seek the help that you needed, how you spoke to your parents about it. But what would you say the biggest obstacle you had to overcome was with your with your mental health and how did you overcome it um okay so i will touch on um kind of what we didn't get to so judgment for sure was the biggest thing um three this i was kind of going through everything about three years ago so once basically what to kind of finish off my story there i suffered with a d few different types of eating disorders. Um, I was working, I moved downtown, I was working in this like really high paced job that was really long hours and I was trying to keep up with the social aspect and the not eating aspect and the having a job aspect and the very, very low moods and the crazy anxiety that wouldn't let me sleep and all of these things, ba I basically just like, I hit complete rock bottom um, and I tried to commit suicide and um, two days later, I was put in a treatment center. So I was there for two months. Um, I lived there. I was in Guelph. Um, and I was there. I was there for two months. And it was like the like it was it was the craziest thing ever. It was like one day I was like this girl who, you know, and growing up, I did have this kind of perception of me this girl who you know grew up in a in a beautiful home with her lovely family who was always having parties and you know who was pretty and who had this these great friends and all of this like what's wrong with her like there can't be anything wrong with you right it's so funny you're saying that because when you said you were in a home and when you walked in here I'm like are we talking about the same person yeah <laughs> it's crazy yeah so you know and then to being like like to really being like in a treatment center in like you know, in, in the forest, like bawling, like crying so hard I couldn't breathe, like wearing, didn't care what I was wearing, didn't care what I looked like, didn't care who was there. Like, you know, like from having all of these crazy concerns and like things that got me so worked up and the things that I cared about so much that got me to this space to just literally relinquishing all control of everything was definitely the heart like getting there was the hardest thing and then and then the judgment right it was two months of my life like people were like where did she what happened to you you were out partying a month ago like and now no one's seen you no one's heard from you what's going on so that was hard that was the the I, I was I was really scared um to to talk about what had happened and 
about two, three months after I, I got out of treatment, I made a post on my Instagram and kind of like was like, hey, I, I didn't really, I told a few close friends um, and I was, I kind of made a post and I was like, hey, and I was like, this is what happened to me. And like, it happens to a lot of people and it's okay and it's normal and it's nothing to be, you know, ashamed. ashamed. Yeah, ashamed of it's, and, and I felt that because of the way that I grew up and all of the comments I received, the, how could you be going through that? You're so pretty. You're so funny. You have this. This you is drive... after the post? No, sorry, beforehand. Okay. I, you know, you drive this car, you have these shoes, right? Like, how could you deal, be dealing with that? Like, and it was like, it does mental health, you know, it, it doesn't it, discriminate. It, yeah, no, yeah, it definitely like, does not. And, it, and it's like any health, right? Like, people, yeah. people get diabetes, people get mm-hmm. cancer, people get like, um, you know, I listen to a lot of sports. Uh, radio and there's a um, sports talk host on TSN his name is Michael Landsberg and he's coined this phrase like sick not weak right um, people have this idea that people with mental health are weak because you just thug it out you know what I mean you're supposed to thug it out and that's what our parents did mm-hmm. you either were thugged it out or you were so far gone that you got put into institution or like you know, used all kinds of insane medical treatments to try to get it out of you or go to church and you know, get the Holy Ghost to push it out of your. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I like we're laughing at these things, but this is what happened, yeah. right? And it still happens in a lot of countries, and even in Canada, it still happens. It just depends, like, on how you're brought up, the family you're in, the opportunities you have. Some people are still going through that, so it's it's pretty serious. But the reason I bring up the sick not weak is like, people are saying that to you, not realizing that. Like what you were going through was an illness. It wasn't a choice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You didn't just wake up one day and say, all right, fuck it. It's like, <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, don't mind me. You didn't just wake up one day and say that, right? Like, it's just, this is something that, like you said, you were dealing with on and off throughout your life until it became like a went from like something that was chronically happening to an acute situation that you needed to handle and you did right so this is if I, I, this is an amazing conversation to have but the main point i like that i'm taking away from this is that we really need to educate ourselves and having someone like yourself share your story is 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 huge cuz not just for people that are going through it but people that don't know the signs people that don't understand it that might say inflammatory things that might make it worse instead of better right so right totally so i don't know if you guys know i think audrey does me and lauren known each other for years um was she one of the people (laughs) we'll we'll mess her up right now (laughs) but i remember that exact post um when you shared your story on social media, and I was shocked because I had no idea. Um, and then seeing that post, I I was just so happy that you were able to come to uh, to some sort of okay with um, an okay feeling to share your story with with everybody. Um, and I remember reading the comments and everyone being super supportive and all that great stuff. But I wanted to know how you felt after you put that out to the world and shared your message. Although you got it out there and it must have felt great, were you a little bit nervous to see people's reactions after you shared your story? 
yeah, I was I was definitely definitely nervous. Um, I had written the post. Um, kind of, it took me about a, a month, and it wasn't something that I was like, I'm gonna make a post on Instagram. It was just I was just writing about what had happened. Like at the time, journaling and writing was like a very good outlet for me. Um, so, at by the you know by kind of November-ish, I had left treatment in August. So by kind of November-ish, I had it had kind of formulated itself into this, like, this is where I have been. And this is, and I was like, oh, this like looks like an Instagram post, right? It was very like, it wasn't intentional. Um, and what happened was I got a phone call from a, from a good friend of mine and he was like, he called me and he was like, how's the baby? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, there's a joke that like you got pregnant and like you had this baby right at like <laughs> wow. 21 years old. And you know, wow. he, he was joking around and, and I started laughing, I was like, yeah, like I'm like, and then I, I hadn't really thought about what people were thinking. And it wasn't at the time, it wasn't something that like made me, you know, feel a negative way. But it was like, wow, like that's so it, it was kind of funny. I was like, I wonder what people are thinking. I wonder where people think I was. And at that time, I remember it was like, I remember the exact day. I remember exactly where I was. And I was like, uh, it it gave me like this, like, okay, like this validation. I was like, okay, uh, this is it's the time. Like, it just gave me this sense of like, it's we're posting this today this is what's happening and and i did it. i was so scared i like did it i threw my phone i ran downstairs i left my phone in my room and i was like okay like whatever happens happens, yeah i was like whatever happens happens like at at the time like people weren't sharing on social media as much about mental health and stuff it it was kind of weird and i again i had never i had never shared it i think the eating disorder was definitely the hardest thing because it was something that affected me probably the hardest with like the whole physical looking aspect of it um but the the response was amazing i i I still talk about social media or i I still talk about mental health on my social media um and i i have nothing but nothing but good stories to share really about about the people that have reached out and and the people that have asked for help um that's that was a big goal of it too i got two questions yeah question number one (laughs) With your body dysmorphia problems that you were suffering with, mm-hmm. how much of that was caused because of social media? Mm-hmm. So definitely a lot. Um, I think that through because I it really did start when I was quite young, um, and we we didn't have social media then. It it came from just a place of comparison with like friends and family and things like that. And then once social media hit and kind of access to the world and access to a lot of things in the world that aren't real, um, that's when it like really hit, hit hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was, I think now with social media, like, and I, because I, I kind of like curate my social media page to, you know, body positivity to people that aren't posting like, look how skinny I am like look at my fit tee like I don't I don't follow those types of people so the way I see social media now is like so much different I know it's still out there and it's still there's still a lot of that on there but I think that there's so many amazing people out there really advocating for like the anti-eating disorder the body positivity all of that that I think it I think it's a much better space than when it started that's great advice I've never this is the first time I've heard someone say that like they they censor themselves from that type because most times people just say oh it's all it's all over the place like i can't do anything about it i see it everywhere but what you just said that's like it's so simple 
and yet so effective. Like you can choose what you watch on TV. You can choose what you listen to on the radio and you can choose what is on your feed yep. on your social media. That's amazing. I'm definitely going to do that myself. Just like, cause there's a lot of stuff that's just nonsense, like absolute <laughs> nonsense, like gossip and just stuff that's not positive stuff. That's not constructive. And it's just a waste of time. Right. So, yep. so, uh, so my great point, Andre, and another question I want to bring up is if you feel yourself going back down that road, what are your um, warning signs? Mm -hmm. and how do you make sure you don't, let's say, slip and then slide? Yeah. So um, having the inner dialogue with myself and being like so completely honest is very important. I always felt like I was, there was so many different parts of me like when I was struggling with everything that would kind of tell me different things. And now that I'm I'm able to kind of streamline that conversation in my own head. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's just checking in on myself constantly, being honest with myself um, and then uh, constantly reevaluating the different tools in my toolbox um, as I grow in advance as a person and as somebody on a mental health journey. So will my methods, um, you know, what's working for me right now may not be working for me in a month. Um, there's strategies that I still use from when I kind of got out of treatment that still work. And there's certain things that I need to do um, when when I feel like that. So so it really depends on kind of what specifically I'm struggling with when it comes to kind of the eating disorder. I kind of go back to that like methodical, um, sorry, the like the like that structured approach to eating. I go back into that, like uh, sleeping. Sleeping is a huge thing for me. Um, I have always struggled with my sleep. Um, so making sure that's on track and consistent, that's a really big thing. Um, and then, you know, I have I have different people in my life. Like I, my therapist, um, I uh, now I see somebody for talk therapy. Um, that's very, very effective for me and very important. What is um, that? just like talk, like talking like talk therapy seeing somebody and just like communicating oh, verbally okay. um but at the beginning of my journey i was seeing somebody i was seeing a therapist like just traditional therapy and it was so ineffective for me because i couldn't communicate i couldn't explain anything in my own head i i couldn't right i had to like i felt like like actually like writing stuff and making graphs and making charts like that's the only way I could actually put things down so initially I started CBT therapy which is cognitive behavioral therapy and it's a way to really like understand your thought process so it's your thoughts feelings and your behaviors and it's in like this very like elementary style chart and it was a way for me to understand again my thoughts my behaviors and my feelings and when I'm really really struggling I go back to that like very basic kind of approach where I just look at when when a thought comes into my head, what my behaviors are and what my feelings are, and I figure out where kind of the the roadblock or the negative action is taking place and how how I you know go about fixing that. Uh, what are your top three priorities on a weekly basis to ensure happiness and strong mental health while maintaining a career and a social life? Yeah, so. There's definitely different things that I do, um, you know, eating healthy or trying to eat healthy, um, you know, going to the gym a few times a week and those types of things. But there are three things that I, you know, check in on, you know, daily. Um, and those three things is communication. And I always go back to communication. I 
you know, at the beginning of my journey, it was really like communication with myself, um, but really with others, being able to communicate what I need and what I want, asking for those things, you know, when when I need to, you know, being being able to actually authentically be myself, um, you know, in a social setting or in in a work environment and being able to be a figure of authority or being able to, you know, be the person that I need to be in these certain places. I mean, being able to communicate effectively, that's very important. I find when I'm not able to communicate is really when everything starts to, you know, buckle down in on me and it gets- Like the walls are closing. Exactly, exactly. Um, The second thing is passion. Um, Having always, making sure that in that week, every day I try to for a little bit, but making sure I'm doing something that I'm passionate about making sure that there's something that really excites me, that brings me joy, that like lights me on fire a little bit. That is super important. Um, I found, I find like when I, you know, put myself into work or into social things, even that I don't want to do, right? Like there's that saying where it's like, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And making sure that I'm filling my calendar with like the hell yes stuff. And I'm not doing things because I feel obligated or I feel like I need to be there or whatever. Obviously with career, it's not as easy to, you know, do all the awesome, awesome things because you have to do do the kind of shitty things when it comes to work sometimes. But definitely in terms of your free time and your social life, like doing things that really, really that you're passionate about, um, I definitely try, well, I I do implement weekly. Um, And then the last thing is having clarity. So I... I always have this overarching message or this value system in my head that I live by. Um, and it's always just to be clear and tr- not to be confused about something. And if I'm confused about something that's going on in my life or I'm confused about a feeling, it's that I have to work through it. Um, I always want to like be going in a direction. And I don't, not to put too much pressure on myself and, you know, always moving forward or always, but always moving, always learning, always exploring, always doing something. I just don't, feeling stuck and feeling clear and confused is like the scariest place for me. So that's, that's definitely something that I I work on. Awesome. So to conclude our conversation today, for those who are listening that need, that would like help um, with their mental health, what would be your biggest piece of advice? So, okay. A couple things. Um, Find somebody who you love and who you trust, um, again, who won't judge you and who will validate your feelings. Um, you know, f- try and find somebody in in your immediate circle who can do that. If not, try and find somebody who you're, sometimes it's easier to talk to someone that you're not super close with, um, but try and find it yourself to find that courage because once you're able to make that step, that really is the hardest thing. Um, uh, this The other thing that I will say is is to really write down how you're feeling and if writing isn't something for me initially it was really hard for me to express what i how i was feeling during writing so i would talk to myself and i would record it and then that way i was able and you know when when we write stuff we can go and read back but i was able i was able to go back and listen to those things and when you're when you just allow yourself to to just fully express without anybody listening or anybody reading and no judgment like you'll be shocked by the things that come up um in your own head and the things that the conclusions you can make and the different the different things that that actually come out i think that is super super effective 
Um, and then obviously, you know, if, if you're really struggling to, to seek, um, to seek a professional, um, you know, calling a therapist or calling an emergency line, um, if needed is definitely, definitely the number one tip. Yeah. Wow. Well, that, thank you so much for that, Lauren. Uh, can we give her a round of applause for opening up? <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and I really hope that our listeners have the courage to open up now and to take your advice. I think there, you gave some great tips. So thank you so much for joining us this evening and discussing the importance of mental health. That wraps up our episode today. We are being brought to you by Zenbox. Take control. Download Zenbox at the App Store today and begin your journey of discovery and self-evaluation. Thank you very much, everyone.